0: We're going to be looking at a message I call the problem of intimidation. We are continuing today in our series on the book of Galatians, and we are in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. The problem of intimidation. Now, our passage today is set in the church at Antioch. This was in ancient Syria, north of the land of Israel, Paul and Barnabas had been working there and doing church planting now for over 14 years. And we saw the, uh, where the apostles gathered together last week in our message here. And they were gathered together in Jerusalem with the church there to consider the issue of whether or not the Gentiles would have to keep the law of Moses and subscribe to the ritual of circumcision. And all of that was settled. And you remember at the end of their lengthy discussion, Paul was brought before the church at Jerusalem and uh, Simon Peter and James the pastor and John gave to him the Bible says the right hand of fellowship and the acceptance that Paul had been denied 14 years before was finally granted to him and the whole church and all of the people then could see that they were in fellowship in harmony over the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ but now the gospel the, the scene quickly shifts back to the church at Antioch. and you'll remember how that Simon Peter, a few years before this, had received that vision of the great sheet and been allowed to go into Cornelius 's house and uh, how that he was then able to share the gospel so that Cornelius was saved and and the Gentiles then received the gift of the Holy Spirit in such an obvious and miraculous way. It was an amazing time and Simon Peter had led out into that and now here he is, he is coming to Antioch and visiting there and for a while things were going to go very well. Verse 12, the Bible says, For before certain men came from James... He would, that is Simon Peter, would eat with the Gentiles. Now when Simon Peter came to Antioch, where Jerusalem was an almost completely Jewish church, Antioch was a very integrated church. In fact, if anything, the Gentiles were probably in the majority and the Jews were in the minority. But it wasn't a big deal. Antioch was enjoying a great time of fellowship. They ate together. They worshiped together. They served God together. And God was doing amazing things in the church at Antioch. Everything was going well. And when Simon Peter then decided to go up and visit them, he joined right in with that amazing fellowship, as we would expect him to. After all, he was the one that God had given the message. Listen, God is no respecter of persons. You can go in to Cornelius. His house you can eat with him you can preach the gospel to him everything will be all right and so we would expect Simon Peter to join right in with that fellowship and enjoy it and he did for a while then everything was going fine there was no problem their fellowship was good and just try to imagine what it must have been like for those believers in the church at Antioch for Simon Peter to come to visit them I mean, just try to picture it in your mind if you can. And I know it's been a long time since we've had a potluck. And let me just say off the bat, right, just right up front, I miss having potlucks. I really do. I'm hungry for some potlucks. I don't mind telling you. I want some casserole, and you know what that is. It doesn't really matter. There's meat and some other kind of stuff under there and a thick layer of grated cheese. That's all it takes. Somehow you fix that all up together. And, uh, you know, I like it when there's five or six different varieties. Mm, I wonder what's under the cheese. Well, let me just get a spoonful and find out. Casserole, I love potluck. I do. I miss them. I miss them. But imagine if you can, it had not been that long. You're sitting at a potluck around one of our round tables in there in the fellowship. And you look up and there's some guy. Well, hey, you can sit down with us. Oh, I just believe I will. What's your name? Well, I'm Simon Peter. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would have been like for those believers to sit down with Simon Peter and realize that Simon Peter, has come up all the way from Jerusalem to Antioch in Syria, and he's visiting our church, and he's sitting at our table. What a blessing that was. What a privilege it was for those people. For a while, things were great. But then another group came up from Jerusalem They were somehow associated with James, the Lord's brother. Now, Paul's language in this passage does not indicate to us whether James had actually sent these people, and in fact, I don't think that that, that he did. He probably didn't have anything to do with them coming there. But these were people who identified with James. And you might remember how that uh, the church at Corinth, for example, Paul would say to them Some of you say, I am of Cephas, some of you say I'm of Paul, others say, I'm of Apollo. So it was very common for people to identify with someone, one of their spiritual leaders and uh, they they kind of focused on them and they became a part of that crowd and and of course Paul rebuked them very seriously at Corinth because that was not a good thing our loyalty and our primary allegiance need to be to Jesus Christ but there were some who apparently considered themselves to be of the James party and James was uh, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem he was the one who wrote the book of James uh, in the New Testament Uh, he was a a strong defender uh, of, of the law and, and there were just a lot of things about James that people identified with especially the Jewish people but you know James was not one to be in contradiction uh, with Paul they'd already settled all that but here were these people and they may have settled the issue of circumcision but now they show up and they're going to argue over the issue of whether the Jews and the Gentiles can eat together It's a good time for us to remember there's always another issue. There's always something that somebody else can bring up, especially if they're turned toward the legalist side of things. There's always something else to bring up to argue about. Well, before certain men came from James, he said he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Uh, Now, Paul did not accuse Simon Peter of heresy. He accused him of hypocrisy. That is, that Simon Peter believed the truth of the gospel. He understood the truth. His opinion about the gospel had not changed. Of course it had not. But what they were doing in separating this church into a Jewish section and a Gentile section was not in keeping with the truth of the gospel. And what's interesting is that in this passage, Paul tells us that Simon Peter did this out of fear. He feared those who were of the circumcision. This is difficult for us to understand. We remember how that when Simon Peter got that vision about Cornelius and went up to his house, when he got back to Jerusalem, they called him on the carpet and he stood up to everybody. He said, who was I that I could withstand God? You all know I had this vision. The Lord spoke to me. The Lord told me. I went there. It was an angel that appeared to Cornelius while I was preaching. The Holy Spirit interrupted the service. How could I withstand God? He didn't bat an eyelash. He didn't bat an eyelash when he stood before the whole city of Jerusalem only weeks after they had crucified the Lord Jesus. And they said and said to them, yet that God has made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What's he afraid of now? He didn't bat an eyelash when Herod put him in prison after he had killed uh, James, the brother of John, different James than what we're talking about in this passage. And he booked Peter for the next execution. Simon Peter wasn't worried. He got a good night's sleep because he knew the Lord was going to deliver him and didn't. when they told him and beat him and told him that he had to obey or not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. What did he say? We have to obey God rather than men. What's he afraid of now? I wish I could explain it to you. I can't. I don't know what has happened. But I do know what it did. You see, Simon Peter was a leader, especially of the Jews, and when they saw him separating from the Gentiles, they followed his lead. And even Barnabas, of all people, Barnabas got caught up in it. It's not a good scene. I don't know how it played out. It's a fellowship meal. And I'll, I'll tell you, eating has always been important to Baptists, amen? I mean, it's part of what we've always done. It is. We, we, we worship together. We pray together. We sing together. We, we listen to preaching. We study the Word of God together. We eat together. I mean, that's a big part of what we do. We've been doing this for centuries. They were doing it in the first century. Now, eating together is not obviously the most important thing we do, but it is a big thing. And from what we can tell about the churches in the first century, they pretty much ate every time they got together. My kind of people. It wouldn't have been the first service that everybody would have noticed. Hey, the Jews aren't sitting with the Gentiles anymore. Hmm. That'd be easy to figure out. Well, hmm. Maybe they had some kind of meeting beforehand. I didn't get invited. I wasn't invited. I don't know. How, how did this happen? Well, look there. One week it might not, you know. Well, isn't it odd how that happened? But two weeks, three services goes by, and it's all the same. And sadly, you know how this played out. Can you imagine what it was like to be one of those Gentiles seeing his Jewish buddy over there, saying, oh, I'm going to go sit with them today. I'm sorry, you can't sit here. Mm-mm. You got to sit over there with them. You see, we read in this passage a lot of times, and we just kind of read it over like it's a little blip. Don't treat this like a little blip. This was not a little blip. This was a big, big, bad deal. Paul responded immediately when they realized it, when they saw what was happening. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as the Jews? See, the issue of the Gentiles keeping the law was already settled. And Simon Peter had been one of the ones, the main one, that had got it settled. But the Gentiles now were being compelled to live as the Jews. It wasn't that Simon Peter was preaching this. But listen, if somebody separates from you, guess what? You've been separated from. The Gentiles didn't ask for that. This was Old Testament law. The Jews couldn't eat with the Gentiles. They couldn't eat at the same table with Gentiles. They couldn't eat at the same with the same food with Gentiles. They weren't supposed to go in a Gentile's home. And if the Jews didn't have anything to do with the Gentiles, guess what? The Gentiles had to live with that. Well, they won't have nothing to do with us. Well, can we invite them over? No, they won't come. You see, the Gentiles were used to living under that law. They had no choice about it. The Jews were the one that made that decision. And they did so in obedience to their interpretation of the Old Testament law. You can't do this, okay? But when the Gentiles then found themselves separated from by the Jews, they were then compelled to live under that Old Testament system. It wasn't that Simon Peter was preaching this. He just did it. He did it. And when the Jews saw Simon Peter doing it, they did exactly what he did. As terrible as division is in a church, let's understand this one was drawn by confusion and by hypocrisy. You know, it was this same James that's mentioned in this passage who said in James chapter 4 and verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Simon Peter knew better than to do what he was doing. Barnabas knew better than to do what he was doing. The Jews knew better than to do what they were doing. This entire scene is just bizarre. Paul started this letter by saying, you know, I'm amazed at what's going on. But, you know, I read this passage and I'm amazed. It's just bizarre. How did this happen? And after all these centuries, my, my heart breaks for these poor people, those poor people in the church at Antioch. I mean, how do you think they must have felt? So elated that Simon Peter came to see him. So elated that he would sit with them and talk with them. And now he won't. And their friends won't either. Why did it all happen? Paul tells us there was fear. Fear over this group of people that came. That's intimidation. They were intimidated by these people that came. I want to draw out of this four different ways that this applies to you and I today. Because the principles that were used and that came up in this intimidation are still around very much so today. And so the first thing that we'll see is that sometimes intimidation is very personal. It is personal intimidation. certain men came from James... And remember, they weren't sent by James, but they were identified with him and may have even used his name to back up their position. You know, James is going to hear about this. (laughs) We know how this intimidation game is played. They're going to find out. You know, they're not going to like this when they find it out. Well, we know that things were blowing up in Jerusalem and in Judea by the time this letter was written. You know, it wouldn't be very much longer before the Judean rebellion would take place and, and, and the Jews would rebel against Rome. They would attack a Syrian garr- uh, a garrison of Romans uh, and, uh, and kill them. The guards in the temple would all be killed and put down. They'd declare an autonomous government and be put down ruthlessly by Titus. That's all history. But things were blowing up already. The zealots were fiercely working in this time. And you know who the zealots were. The zealots were the underground, the the political party behind the scenes. Uh, uh, They were terrorists. That's all the zealots were. They hated the Romans. But their ire was directed just as much toward their own people as it was toward the Romans. Because if you went along with the Romans and you were fellowshipping with the Gentiles... Uh, then they'd come after you. And they didn't just come after you. They'd come after your family. And they'd come after your business. Because you were collaborating. And you were hanging out with the Gentiles. And the zealots and the Jewish crowd. Who were working to overthrow the Romans. They were already in full force. And so the ire against the Gentiles was growing. And it had grown exponentially. Even though God had done what he had done with Cornelius. It's very possible then that they were trying to avoid provoking these people who came. Because they knew who they were. They knew what their beliefs were. Maybe they thought, well, we can just show some sensitivity to their feelings. You know how they are. You know, we don't want them going back and attacking Aunt Bessie or, or somebody back in Jerusalem because they found out we were up here eating with the Gentiles. We don't want to put everybody in danger. No telling what these people will do if we make them mad. You and I know very well how this feels. Many a church decision has been made, listen to me, not on the basis of what was right or what was wrong, but on who it was liable to make mad. And that happens. It happens. Well, you know how they are. If they get mad, don't get, If they don't go their way, you know. That's intimidation, folks. It doesn't just show up in churches, but it shows up in families as well. It shows up often in all kinds of situations. It shows up at work. Well, you don't want to get them stirred up. You don't want to kick that dog, let that sleeping dog lie. Let them alone. Don't get them stirred up. You know how they are. This is personal intimidation, folks. It's people using their beliefs and their potential, then, of bad behavior to try to intimidate us into doing certain things or not doing certain things. We know how this plays out. We've lived it. We are living it. And if we find ourselves being afraid to speak the truth or stand for the truth because we're afraid of how somebody might respond, Being intimidated. Second thing that shows up then is spiritual intimidation. Paul said in verse 14, but when I saw that they walked not. Uprightly, And this is speaking of Peter and Barnabas and the other Jews who were not walking uprightly. It's a very interesting word. It is the word orthopodio. It is the word that our word orthopedic comes from. And it t- speaks of someone who cannot walk upright. And there's a variety of reasons. It may be something in the back. It might be a leg. It might be a knee. It might be a hip that gets messed up. And so a person can't walk straight. It has affected their walk. It's affected their gait. And in this case, in the spiritual sense. Paul says they were not walking uprightly. It means that though they believed the truth of the gospel that we are all one in Christ Jesus, they were not living in accordance with what they knew to be true. They knew the gospel. But they were being intimidated from living it out. Nobody changed their beliefs but it did work against the effect of the gospel you see the gospel was to break down the walls of partition between the Jew and the Gentile, so that they could worship God together in Christ Jesus and so that their fellowship would unbroken but now what they were doing was rebuilding the walls that Jesus Christ died to break down well, no doubt they would quickly argue. But now, listen, we're, we're not changing the gospel. We're not changing what we believe. But, you know, we need to remind ourselves, if we don't know it, then we need to learn it, that the intimidators of this world really don't care what you believe as long as you keep it to yourself. They don't care about what we believe as Christians as long as we keep it to ourselves and keep it within the walls of our building. They don't care what you believe about the gospel as long as they end up with a Jewish section and a Gentile section. Everybody's fine. They don't care what you believe is true. It's living out that truth. It's living out that truth. That's, that's where things get dicey. We also need to remember that not everything is about the truth of the gospel. Remember that the Bible teaches us about bearing one another's burdens, about bearing with the weaknesses of the weak, about how that we that are strong ought to bear with those, how we are to esteem others better than themselves. Yes, those teachings are all over the New Testament, and yes, they are still valid. But there are times when we cannot bend There are times when we cannot be flexible. There's times where we can't just be worried about someone's feeling. And that time is when we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it begins to affect the gospel. That's where we have to make a stand. And must not be intimidated. So there was personal intimidation. Well, you know how they are. Don't want to get them stirred up. Spiritual limitation, intimidation. Well, you know, I know what we believe about the gospel, but we just, we're not going to get all bent out of shape about this. We don't have to believe all of this. It also affected them intellectually. There was the truth of the gospel Verse 14, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. The truth. Our gospel is under fire today because our faith is under fire. And the whole issue of faith is being ridiculed more and more and more every day. The scriptures say some very hard things. And these things run against our culture in many, many ways. And, and because of that, then, the belief systems of others are under a constant threat. And they're quick to say to us as God's people, well, you don't actually believe all that stuff is true, do you? <laughs> well, let me just respond to that this morning and say that, yes, I do believe all that stuff is true. I sure do. Yes I do believe that God created the heavens and the earth and that he spoke them all into existence and he did it in six days. Uh, I don't have to shuffle my feet when I say it. I'll look them right in the eye or in this case right in the camera and say yes I believe all that's true. I believe that when he made humanity he made us male and female. I believe that God performed the first marriage in in the garden of Eden and said to Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply. And yes I believe that marriage is designed by God to come before the multiplication does yes I believe in the importance of marriage because God God performed a ceremony for Adam and Eve there in the garden marriage matters I believe that sin is working overtime in our world today to mar God's creative design and not just in this way but more ways that we can count and yes All of these things ultimately make a difference on the gospel. Remember being saved is a matter of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't call people to salvation unless they first come to repentance. And repentance comes as we are aware of and being convicted by the Holy Spirit about the sins that we are committing. The life that we are living We call in out to God under the awareness of our sins and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he is. He is. He will. I'm glad to be able to say to you in this building, he'll save you right where you sit if you'll ask him. And to those of you sitting at home, even if you're sprawled out on the couch, hey, you're listening and thank you. God will save you where you're sprawled. He will if you'll call on him. He'll be your Savior. It's that sin part that we're being pushed away from these days. But we cannot give that away. So there is that personal intimidation there is spiritual intimidation in the passage there is intellectual intimidation and lastly and very quickly there's also practical intimidation verse 12 for before certain men came from James he would eat with the Gentiles but when they came he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision notice those two words withdrew and separated you know there's a lot of things that we might divide over or we might discuss or believe or think about that really aren't gospel issues. But they become gospel issues when they cause us as God's people to withdraw from one another and separate from one another. As much as we'd like to think that potluck is a part of the gospel, it's really not. I mean, the gospel doesn't say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then follow the Lord after you've been saved in baptism, join a church and have potlucks. It it really doesn't say all that. Potluck are not a part of the gospel. But when Simon Peter and Barnabas and the rest of the Jewish contingency pulled aside and separated that whole church so that they ended up with a Jewish quarter and a Gentile quarter, it became a gospel issue because it affected the truth of the gospel. I want you to know that these things right here, folk, are not a gospel issue. They're not. You don't have to wear a mask to be saved. That is not a part of the gospel but they become a gospel issue if if we allow this thing to cause us to separate and withdraw from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Folks, social distance is bad enough without us having to add in emotional distance, the tearing up and destroying of friendships and relationships, coming after one another, I'm not trying to tell you today that these aren't important. Our governor, our doctors, medical professions, professionals all over the world tell us they're important. I guarantee you if I go to a dentist, uh, I want my, and that dentist is going to get down in my face, I want him wearing one of these. Don't you? I remember when they didn't. I'm glad they do. They wear them because they make a difference. I'm not here to preach about this. What I'm here to preach about is how we're allowing this, how we're allowing COVID to divide the people of God. COVID is not a gospel issue. Let's not let it become one by causing us to withdraw and separate one from another. That's what was happening. Potluck is not a gospel issue. But it became one. How big a one? So much that Paul, the apostle, confronted Simon Peter, the apostle, walk on the water, Simon Peter, the apostle, in front of the whole church. Because what he was doing, not what he was teaching, what he was doing was dividing God's people. And that affects the truth of the gospel. So let's wrap this up today with a few things. In the Christian life, it's not just what we do, but it's also what we fail to do or what we refuse to do. It's it's not just what we say, but it's also what we fail to say or what we refuse to say. You can say a lot by what you do and what you don't do and what you say and what you don't say. It says a lot. If you've ever walked into a divided church, then you know how horrible that is. I've been pastoring God's people all of my life, and if God gave me another lifetime, I'd want to spend it the same way. I started when I was 20 years old. You can't believe all the things that I've seen people withdraw and separate over. Just foolish things that somehow get blown up all out of proportion, like Who sits by who at a potluck? Or who eats whose cake? or Foolish things. They're not gospel things, but they can become gospel things when they cause us to withdraw and to separate. Jesus Christ died so that we could be one, and he prayed for us on the night before he died. Father, may they be one, even as you and I are one. And when we're not, when we allow things to divide us, to cause us to withdraw and separate, that's a bad, bad thing. It affects the testimony of the gospel, the effect of the gospel. Does the world seem then to you to be an increasingly intimidating place? If it seems that way, it's because it is. Are you struggling between holding on to the clear teaching of the Bible or offending your friends or your co-workers? Do you find yourself struggling to balance your faith with your fear of what others may do or of how it might affect your career or your job or your business? Do you struggle with those things? I know you do. I know you do. Because the world is becoming more and more intimidating to us. Everything is not a gospel issue. But some things are. And where we are being called upon to turn away from the truth of the gospel, we must not be intimidated. We must not be silenced out of the fear of what we say might offend people. I guess because I'm a preacher and I've been doing it so long, I've kind of got used to offending people. I don't mean to. I never said out that. But listen, to to do that. But Paul talked about the offense of the cross. And I've told you again and again, and I'll tell you again this morning. The offense of the cross is still real. It is still out there. The gospel is still offensive. And yes, when we tell people that God says you're a sinner and that you need to be saved, no matter how lovingly we tell people that, sometimes they're still going to be offended. The question before us is, will we be silenced out of fear? I wish that in many ways that uh, the story of all all of the story in Galatians chapter 2 would have ended with that right hand of fellowship. That was a great, great scene, but it didn't. It went on to this. This was a bad scene, but it ends well. Close out then this morning. Thinking ahead, to decades have passed. Simon Peter's an old man, and he knows that his time is short. James has already gone; been gone a long time. James, the Lord's brother, he's gone. Thomas, Philip, Bartholomew—they're all gone. Simon Peter's old, and he knows his time is coming. Paul is either in prison waiting for the fall of the executioner's sword or is already dead and Simon Peter hadn't heard about it. We don't know. But within a very short time, both of these great, great old champions were going to be gone. And I'm glad as Simon Peter wrote his last letter, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write about salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And as he talks about salvation, I can almost see as he's writing the smile light up as he wrote it. Even as our beloved brother, Paul, has written in all of his epistles. Our beloved brother, Paul. Aren't you glad that passage of Scripture is in the Bible? Second Peter. 315. Our beloved brother Paul. You see, people can dis- disagree and even disagree publicly. You can call somebody out and call him a hypocrite because he was a hypocrite. I wish the Bible told us about how Simon Peter reacted. I guess we can all ask him when we get to heaven. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> I can tell you, we won't do that. But I know how the story ended. It's all spelled out in three words. Our beloved for, our beloved brother. I was thinking beloved, beloved brother Paul. Beloved brother Paul. It's an intimidating world out there, folks. It's getting worse. It's not going to get better for a long, long time. Maybe not in our lifetime. But I know where it's headed. Of all the things I believe in the Bible, I I believe also Jesus Christ is coming again. I believe when God created this earth, he created it with a reset button. (laughs) And one of these days, he's going to hit it. I believe it because the Bible teaches it. Yes. It's an intimidating world out there, but the gospel is still real. And our goal is to make sure that we walk straight. Let's pray, stand together, and we'll pray together.